I'm going to start off. I'm going to make you mad today, okay? I'm going to make you mad. I, I, and, it's, and I would say I'm sorry. I'm really not uh, because it's the, uh, uh, it's, it's the message. And, uh, and this, this particular passage, uh, it, it, it's all kind of built up to this. And next week, we're going to ask you to go a step forward uh, and not just hear and receive the word, but to actually do something about it and be obedient. Uh, and, uh, but, but today, we are going to look at, we've already looked at, uh, we've already looked at, at uh, God's word, its inspiration, its inerrancy, uh, the supremacy of Christ. We've looked at prayer and fasting or communion uh, with the holy God. Uh, we've looked at uh, the local church being uh, man's hope for getting the gospel out, uh, that, that God chooses to use uh, the local church to, uh, to get the gospel out. But in part of that is, is that, that we, we are, he has called us to do uh, life together. So all of these things have built on each other as we've gotten to this point. Uh, and we're going to look at today what it looks like to be a, um, to be a missional people. And here in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul begins with a prayer to the local church. And as he is praying for the local church, you're going to feel a subtle shift in the tone of, of the prayer. Um, it, it, it almost has a real ADD feel about it. Like he's going to kind of, he's going to start off in one direction and then he's going to kind of chase this shiny thing kind of over to the other side. And that shiny thing is going to be the mystery of God that God's revealed to him. And that mystery is how God is going to graft his people, the Jews, with the Gentiles and how, how as Gentiles we are grafted into the family of God because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul's going to talk about suffering, and he's going to talk about how the Gentiles become part of the people of God, how God was the one himself who started the church, how there are riches in Christ that are just, the word that Paul is going to use is, uh, is uh, unsearchable. Um, and we're going to talk about how we as believers, how we have instant and immediate uh, and eternal access to God. But we're going to find this, this application in our lives. And Paul is going to use his life as a conduit with which to take that application to us. But the mission that Paul had for, for the local church was one of redemption, but not only for the Jew. Now remember, remember where he's coming from. He is a Messianic Jew. He was, he was a, a Pharisee. He was teaching in the temple. He was the one that was leading uh, the Jewish people in probably not such fantastic ways. Uh, but, but he was well-educated. He was well-read. He was well-served. And so for him to begin to, to uh, on the road to Damascus, when the light hits him and, and uh, Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me, right? It, it was in that moment that Paul's life was redirected, not just for the salvation of the Jew, but also salvation for the Greek. But there is something about Paul's passion and his mission that I think the local church lacks. And that was this. Paul was absolutely convinced that Jesus was going to return in his lifetime. He just knew it. He knew that when, when Jesus ascended, uh, that, that he, he said, I am going to come and I'm going to come back soon. Right? The word was soon. I'm coming soon. And so Paul goes, okay, it must be in my lifetime. And he was convinced that if he did not complete his missionary journeys, now Paul's desire was to make it all the way to Spain. He never made it there. But in his missionary journeys, he felt that if he did not complete his journeys, that someone might not hear the gospel and Jesus would come back and the time would be up and someone would go to hell because he wasn't faithful to the calling of God. Church, what would you say? If the church became so impassioned over the gospel getting out as Paul was. I mean, think about it. Just in our denomination alone, there's 47,000 churches. 
with roughly 15 million people. Now, we know that number is probably not completely accurate. I mean, some of y'all are on, are on the rolls of three or four different churches. Okay, so I mean, it's probably, I mean, let's just say even 10 million people, just denominationally. Can you imagine if 10 million people had that passion to see the world change for Jesus Christ? We are called to a mission. Now, we use the buzzword uh, missional, I think. Um, and we use it a little bit too often, right? We're going to be on mission. We're, what is our mission? It is the Great Commission, right? That we're going to go make disciples of all nations, right? The problem is that idea of missional sometimes gets lost in the mindset of cutting checks and taking uh, missioncations that are more vacation than they are mission trip, right? We, we, we kind of get caught in that. This passage is not that. This passage speaks to Paul's desire to see the church fulfill her mission. Charles Spurgeon once said, my favorite preacher, uh, once said in a sermon, he said, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you don't love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Our love for Jesus should overflow to sharing the gospel with others. There is deep doctrine in this passage, and we're going to look at it today. Are you hungry today? Then let's feast. Ephesians chapter 3. Today's big idea is this, is that, that following Jesus, for the church, following Jesus comes with certain consequences. Right? We all have to ask ourselves if the cost of following Jesus is worth the choice we have to make. Let's read. He said, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That's very important, all right? That, that now, with the scriptures, that, that the canon is closed, there is no extra biblical revelation. All revelation is made through the counsel of God's word. Right, it's confirmed in God's word. So if God gives you a revelation and it cannot be, be backed up in scripture, it was nothing more than a bad burrito, okay? He says, this mystery is that, Gentile, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Can you imagine a Pharisee ever saying that? He said, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am, I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the, of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom he, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's writing this as he's chained to a Roman jailer, and he is writing about, about 
them, asking that they not lose heart. What a, that, it just, that just never lacks being really cool to me. Missional people exhibit certain traits. First is submission to the perfect will of Jesus Christ. Paul's going to open and close this passage by speaking of his present condition and the sufferings that come along with it, right? In verse 1, he says that he is a prisoner that he, and that he is suffering, uh, that he's suffering for you is what he's saying. Paul's imprisonment shows the very nature of what it looks like to be a Christian missionary. Let me tell you, if you sit in a church and the pastor tells you that being a Christian is like all like, like roses and gumdrops, that that's what the Christian, the Christian life looks like, can I, can I be honest with you, find another church? That, that's not accurate. God never said living the Christian life would be easy. He only said it would be worth it. Jesus called Paul to a special ministry and that ministry Involved suffering. I'm telling you, when I pray to God that God would allow me to, to experience uh, his life and to experience um, what it means to have communion with him, sometimes, church, that prayer involves the Christian suffering. Jesus told Paul from the very beginning, we see it in Acts chapter 9, that, that Christ told Paul from, from, the, from the very beginning that he would suffer. And Paul was willing to suffer on behalf of the gospel. For the sake of the mission. Interesting. I want you to look at verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 3. Look at what's more important is what it doesn't say really than what it does. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Caesar. No, it doesn't say that. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of whom? Christ Jesus. It was the will of God that took Paul to prison. Paul didn't see his imprisonment as, as Caesar thwarting the gospel of Jesus. Paul's only concern was that they could chain the man, but they could not chain the message. When the Christian is wholly submitted to the will of God, the gospel will go forth. The important thing to Paul was not safety or security or sanctity, or this like fat 401k that he could draw off of in his life. He, he was concerned about the glory of Christ. He knew that, that he wasn't in prison because of some moral failure or criminality. He was in prison because God willed for him to be in prison. It was his own sacrificial commitment to Jesus that he writes while he's chained to a Roman jailer, writing a letter from prison. The most important thing to Paul was the glory of Christ. Y'all just came, came back from spring break. Uh, how many of y'all went to Disney? Anybody go to Disney uh, for, for spring break? A couple of you. You don't have to be embarrassed. It's very cool. I mean, congratulations. I hope you got the Dole Pineapple Whip while you were there. Um, I know, yeah. Um, when you leave to go to Disney or go to the mountains or go to the beach or whatever, um, uh, you ever get in the car and you get the whole family in the car, you pack up, and then, then you, start, you start praying, Lord, we just pray for traveling mercies for today. We pray that you would place a hedge of protection around this car, that, that we might get to where we're headed unscathed, and that your glory would go before us, and that we would be safe as we arrive at our destination. Of course you have. 
Every Christian prays that prayer at some point. Francis Chan once said that, that <clears throat> being in the will of God is not the safest place to be, necessarily. What if, and let me just throw it out there, what if you're headed to Disney and you have a blowout on I-4, kind of just kind of southwest of, of DeLand, and, and, and you pull over and, and you realize that you forgot your jack and you don't know what you're going to do because there's very little cell signal on that particular stretch of road. I don't know why. But then, then somebody pulls in behind you. A Savior pulls in behind you, not Jesus. A Savior pulls in behind you and says, can I help you today? I have a jack. Yes, you can, as a matter of fact. And that person winds up being lost. And you have the privilege, while you're changing your tire, to share with them the glory of Christ. They may make a decision for Christ. They may not. But what if the will of God on that particular day was for you to have a blowout so that you might be stranded on the side of the road and a lost person comes in next to you so that you can share the gospel with them? Church, being in the center of the will of God is not the safe place to be. It is the only place to be. It leads you places sometimes you don't want to go. But it, when we go it, in submission to Christ, it is for his glory. And so Paul, and we even see in verse 13, Paul's care while he's suffering is in submission to Christ. It is in a pastoral care for the people at Ephesus who are also suffering. Verse 4, we see that Paul gets something super cool. I would love this. Okay, like I, 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 whenever I read it, I, I love it. Uh, look at verse four. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. How many of y'all would love to have insight into the mystery of Christ? Like all the things that you read the scripture, you go, ah, I just don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about. For you to know those things. So here's Paul. He's getting an insight into the mystery of Christ. So Paul's responsibility explains how God created a people, a, a household of both Jews and Greeks through Christ. A converted Jew explaining to Gentiles how they are grafted into the same promises as the people that God created for himself. Our role as the church is to understand that there is a whosoever will component to salvation, that if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. And then we communicate it. This mystery that Paul's talking about is not, is not meant for, it's not cultic, right? Some, some people say we have the mystery of Christ and only we know it. That's not what Paul's doing here. This message about Christ is for all nations. It's not for just a specific group of people. It's for all who would believe. And so Paul is urging the, the Ephesians to forsake anything that would cause them to puff themselves up and not receive the glory of Christ. The problem is we tend to take the idea of grace, right? It's by grace that you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that nobody may boast. And, Right? We're, we're God's workmanship, right? He started this process of creation of a, of a new person in us. And that which he creates, he will see through to completion, right? All of those things. The problem is sometimes we take this idea of grace, that we're going to submit to Christ. But you also got to do this. And for the Judaizers in Romans 1, it was 
and in Galatians, you see it's, uh, it's submit to the will of Christ, but also follow the law, like be circumcised, right? For, for others, it is, you know, if you're going, you submit to the will of Christ and tithe, Submit to the will of Christ and serve. Submit to the will of Christ. And I mean, fill out whichever one that, that sometimes we tend to puff up to this idea of the bestowing and imputing of God's grace. Church, when we do that, we cheapen God's grace. While we don't reveal what Christ is, is sharing, the message that Christ has, we get, as a church, we get to re-reveal it. We teach this doctrine to others. And so if you're a new believer and you're like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. Keep reading the scriptures. Study the doctrines of the faith. Study the creation. Study the fall. Study redemption. Study the new creation. Meditate, which is why we're talking about things like like scripture memory and reading and meditation and memorization. Meditate on Jesus. On the centrality of the church in the gospel's propagation Meditate on the, on the supremacy of Jesus and the inspiration of his word. As believers, church, we should delight in the privilege of taking that message to a world that has rejected it. So understand this, Christ wants you. He's pursuing you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your perfection. He knows you can't attain it. Yet, in the midst of all of that, he wants you. He wants your guilt. He wants your shame. He wants your regrets. Church, he died to get it. We shouldn't have to die to release it. Submission to his lordship is what he wants. But also the presence of mind to see the workings of Jesus. Look at verse 8. Um, Actually, look at verse 7. This may, may be a humble brag. He said, Of the gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Okay, I understand. Like, like, like that may seem like a humble brag. Like, you know, hey, I'm the very least. Now, mind you, he is the one that met Jesus kind of face to face, although blindly, on the road to Damascus. You know, have you ever seen, you ever seen someone do a humble brag? And it's like you know, the guy that goes to the gym and works out and he says, well, because God is so good, I deadlift 600 pounds today. You know, or the guy that, that, that cuts a million dollar check to the church. And if that's you, please don't let me offend you today. Um, he, he's the guy that, that, says, that says, well, you know, the Lord's been good to me. So I'm, I'm, I cut a million dollar check to the church today. Like it, it's like you are definitely bragging about it, but you're trying to look humble and you don't really look that humble. All right, it's, it's kind of what that feels like a little bit. But, that's, but when, when you read the whole passage, Paul's like, look, I'm shocked that I'm the guy that gets to tell you this stuff. Like, I shouldn't be. He goes on, he says, he says I'm like the least of these. I'm the least of the saints. I'm the last person. Now, mind you, as he's, we talked about a few weeks ago, that, that he was one of, the, one of the Pharisees that was holding the, the cloaks of the men that were literally rolling boulders over Stephen. He's like, I shouldn't be the guy telling you this. But Christ has done an unbelievable work in me. Paul firmly believes his position and his place in redemptive history doesn't puff him up. He deflects. He deflects from himself and onto Christ. He feels privileged to serve Jesus. Do you? 
We don't have to serve Jesus. We get to. Whether it's on the stage preaching or playing guitar or singing or spreading mulch uh, you know, on a hot day, getting ready for Easter, or whether it's working in the nursery or whether it's in student ministry or leading one of our support groups. We have the privilege, church, of serving the risen Christ. Grace humbles us. When we look at the glory of Christ, we see the depravity of man. And we see the great work that Christ did to redeem us out of that miry clay. The least of all the saints, we give love and time and energy and effort so that everyone might know that God loves them. The beauty is when, when grace, we recognize God's working of grace in our lives, it prevents us from puffing ourselves up, which makes the, le- the ground at the foot of the cross level. When we're always looking up. Christ did his work on Calvary to put you in a position to tell others about him. What if I were to tell you that he has woven every detail of your life, every experience that you've had, every place that you've gone, every person that you've met, every regret that you have, every good time, every bad time, everything was woven to bring you here today in this moment. He's working in you. What are you going to do about it? God empowered Paul to proclaim that which was unsearchable or incomprehensible, the riches of Christ. It's the only time in the biblical Greek you're going to see that word unsearchable. We literally believe that Paul made up a word because he couldn't put the mystery of the riches of Christ into a word that explained it. The best thing that commentators can find is that it's, a, it's an offshoot of the word footprint. And you're like, footprint? Think of it this way. Y'all ever, y- y'all ever hear of an old TV show called Gunsmoke? I grew up watching Gunsmoke. I love it. My parents loved it, so therefore, ipso facto, I loved it growing up because I didn't have control of the remote. Um, I love Marshall Dillon and Miss Kitty and uh, Doc and Festus and Chester. And then Burt Reynolds was on there for a cup of coffee, too. And uh, like, it, like all, all these different guys. I, you know what, what I love about it? Uh, every, every episode was contained and, and it told a particular story. And somebody would either get robbed or somebody would get killed. And Marshall Dillon would have to investigate. And so Matt goes, his name's Matt Dillon. Matt goes out and he looks and he's looking at everything going on. Uh, and, and you know what? He, he looks at it, he goes, I found a footprint. And I'm like, you found, you've been walking all around this place and you found a footprint? They're cowboy boots. They all look the same. No, I'm going to follow this footprint. And you know, you know, he never really followed a footprint that led to a dead end. He would track and he would go, here's one and here's one. And then he would get up on his horse and he would ride and go, there's one and there's one. And eventually it would, in every way, it would come up um, on a campfire. And the guy, the the, the robber, murderer, whoever it happens to be, is sitting around the campfire, leaning back, singing cowboy songs, and eating canned beans, I think is what it always was. And so, I don't know. 
and, and Matt would sneak up on the camp and he would jump over a shrub or a hedge and he would tackle the guy and they'd fake punch a little bit and Matt would either shoot him or would apprehend him or whatever and that was the end of the story. Everybody's happy. Um, this word footprint, this word unsearchable, means that it's something that you track. Now, understand the job of, of the believer. On this side of heaven... As believers in Jesus, we, there's an already a not yet completed aspect to our salvation. That Jesus has purchased our pardon, but yet we are constantly pursuing after um, Christ. It's a term we use in church called sanctification. That we are already redeemed in Christ, but we're not yet perfected into his image. There's going to come a day, church, when you are going to search after Christ. And then you're going to take your last breath. And you're going to close your eyes. And you're going to open them to Jesus who says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your rest. At that point, the unsearchable riches of Christ will become your reality. But until we see Jesus face to face, we are constantly tracking after him. Church, some may object saying that if all we do as a church is proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, people are eventually going to get bored and they're going to leave. And they're going to go find something else. That it's going to get old. The unsearchable riches of Christ can never be fully expounded on on this side of heaven. Church, if our preaching is boring, it is not because Christ is boring. His glories are incalculable. If our message has to be something other than Christ and his unsearchable riches, church, we need to close our doors. Because Jesus is better and he is the message for everyone. That everyone may know the unsearchable riches of Christ as long as we're preaching Christ. Church, we should never run out of material. We should never be left without something to talk about. And we should never talk about him without passion. Because while we were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, he came and rescued us. And as we proclaim the riches of Christ to our souls daily, out of the overflow of our communion with him, we declare his glory to others. The presence of mind to see the workings of God. But finally, the missional people have a love for the imperfect bride of Christ. Look at verse 10. He says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Paul adds a, another point onto this theology of the church. He tells us that the church and the workings of the church have implications that reach throughout heaven, throughout the spiritual realms. The church that is made up of both Jew and Gentile is making known the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and the authorities, not just on the earth, but also in heaven. And so if you're a part of the local church, you are a part of a cosmic sermon that is being preached amongst the worlds. Kent Hughes says this. He says, the inescapable conclusion is that the angels watch us because we are a part of the mystery. 
we have a far bigger and more observant viewing audience than any of us realize. According to verse 11, take a look at it with me. It says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus came and accomplished and fulfilled his purposes, which was God's plan. While Christ is the central character of the plan, all things can be summed up in the person and the work of Christ. So it is at the crucified and risen Christ, as he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, soon he is going to come back and he's going to take all that's wrong in this world and he's going to make it right again. So church, consider that as we proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, we are witnessing, we are witnesses, martyrs, if you will, witnesses to the glories of Christ. Can you imagine who's listening to this letter? It's not just church folk. This would have been read in the town. Farmers, bankers, laborers, day laborers, carpenters, shopkeepers, servants, masters, moms, dads, children. They are all being told that they testify to the work of Christ. Church, do not ever underestimate the work that we do as a member of the local church. If we love Christ, then we should also hold a high view of his bride. She's not perfect, and quite honestly, she's not even good sometimes. But Jesus loves her. He loves the gossip. He loves the complainer. He loves the curmudgeon. He loves the person that feels that coming to the church house and never serving uh, equates to active church membership. He loves the person that wakes up on Sunday morning and decides that an Ikea run or a trip to the beach is a better daily planning than gathering with the bride. If that's you, please hear me. Jesus loves you. He loathes your behavior. He desires your repentance. But just as much as he desires your repentance, he just as much desires you to cherish his bride the way he does. When the gathered church speaks, scripture says that heaven itself gathers around to hear. Church, find me more power than that. That's why we go to the nations. Because we are the hands and feet of Jesus and the holder of the greatest message ever told about the greatest person that ever lived. Let's be people that go to the nations, regardless what the world, of what the world thinks. Scriptures say the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. We must get them the gospel. We're going to enter into a time of communion as we remember this Christ that loved us so much. We're going to remember his death, burial, and resurrection today. If you're not a believer, I want to share with you that, that Jesus left us with two institutions that allow us to remember the reason for our salvation. That is the death, the burial, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. And one is believer's baptism. When someone trusts Jesus as Savior, they're baptized. They go into the water and they come out as a symbol of Jesus going into death and coming up out of it for us but also in the institution of the Lord's Supper when we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, we're going to read verses 23 through 26 here in just a moment. Um, but before 
that passage, Paul gives a warning to those that might want to, what he calls, take of the table in an unworthy manner. Uh, look, if you're not a believer in Jesus today, I love you. This is not for you. Like, you don't understand. And that's, there's, and that's not a strike against you. That is just, we would love to tell you about what that means. Um, but this isn't for you today. It's for, for the church family. And so we would invite you to watch. Uh, and, and then after the service is over, ask one of us about it. And we would love to tell you all about it. Um, if you are a believer in the room today and there is unconfessed, unrepented sin in your heart that you're just not ready to give up on yet, I, I pray that you would. Uh, but if that's not you and you're like, hey, listen, I'm going to chew on this for a little bit longer. Um, I'm going to ask if you would just don't grab elements. Just let them go by. The goal should be that there should be nothing separating us from remembering the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here's what I'm going to ask from, from you. Um, Lori is going to come up here in just a moment. She's going to, she's going to play uh, a little bit for us in the background. Um, she's already here. How about that? <laughs> you are sneaky. Goodness. Man, okay. How about that? Um, we're going to pray in just a moment together. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would, when I say go, come forward to one of these four stations and receive the elements. You're used to getting them in a prepackaged container that has the wafer and the juice with it. Um, so we kind of ran out of those. So we have the wafers and we have the containers. They're in two trays. We get you to ask, ask you to pick up one of each when you come forward. If it, if, if walking is, is, is difficult for you, uh, we want to help you with that. Or maybe if you're immunocompromised, you don't want to dip in the same bucket with everybody else. Um, Pastor Matt's going to be walking around with some of the few that we have left of the prepackaged elements. All you need to do is just look at him, kind of raise your hand. He'll come find you. He's going to be walking around uh, handing out uh, those elements if, if coming forward is, is, you know, if physically limited, immunocompromised, whatever it happens to be. All right. But church, at this moment, why don't we come forward together as a family? Let's grab our elements and return to our seat together. Father, we pray that in these moments, that as we remember your broken body and your shed blood, we remember the body that was laid in the tomb on Good Friday. What a strange name for such a terrible day. We are reminded that salvation for us may be free, but it, Lord, it was not cheap. It cost you the very best that you had. Your faithful, loving, compassionate, fully just son, Jesus, had to die our death that we might be resurrected. So Father, purify our hearts today as we remember you and we memorialize the, the risen Christ today. If we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. There are some faiths that believe that when 
you place the wafer in your mouth that through a supernatural process, it becomes the broken body of Jesus. Matter of fact, some people, some pagans called the early, some of the early Christians cannibals who practiced this uh, practice called transubstantiation. I can tell you this, it is, I ate the last one in the last uh, service. It's just unleavened something. I don't, I don't really know what this is. Um, but it is deeply symbolic of the broken body that purchased your salvation. And so as we take the bread together, let's remember the lamb that came to take away the sin of the world. So we remember the cup today. Jesus says that when you eat this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul was convinced that Jesus was gonna come in his lifetime. Maybe we as a church should adopt that same mindset. The gates of hell could not prevail against it. I'm reminded of the old hymn writer who said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As we leave today, let's remember the cost of following Christ is worth whatever it costs us because God has already promised us that it cost him everything. Pastor Matt's going to be back in the Next Steps area as we close out today. If you have a question about church membership or you want to get to know the church a little better, or if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and you want more information, we would love to tell you about the greatest person who ever lived and lives today. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you as we leave today. May we go knowing that you are holy, you are righteous, and you are good. And above all things, Father, you are worthy of our praise. So we offer you what little we have, knowing that what little we have to offer, you will make much of it and glorify yourself through it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.